This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm realizing something again this year, and that is, is that I really do love the run from Advent into Christmas tide into Epiphany tide. And in some ways, this will feel like a culmination of Epiphany tonight because uh, we look at the baptism and then next week you're going to come in here and it's going to be green hangings and I'll be, well, the bishop will be here, so... uh, some of us will be wearing green, uh, and the bishop will be uh, wearing green, but, you know, under all that other great regalia. And so, uh, but there's just something special about being able to stop and pause uh, on this Sunday, the first Sunday of uh, Epiphany. And, you know, for many years, 10 exactly, uh, Christine and I were always in Rome uh, on this Sunday. So I've actually heard uh, more Italian sermons delivered Uh, on the baptism of the Lord than anything else and mostly could always decently keep up because the vocabulary around baptism uh, is not the hardest thing to follow Um, but the point is is now for the past few years I've had the opportunity myself to live into uh, this season and to really think about the baptism and what a great opportunity for us to be able to reflect this evening not just on our own baptism, though we will do that, uh, albeit indirectly, but on Jesus' baptism. And despite my best attempts to convince Mari and Dave that this would have been a great, well, any Sunday is a good Sunday to baptize a, a Wendell when that time comes. We know uh, wanting to have family and all that here, uh, it's not happening, but we look forward to that baptism. And so uh, we will be reminded again, Lord willing, soon enough about our baptism, but, but here we are tonight uh, looking at these wonderful passages which so which tie together so nicely. Uh, and this Acts 10 passage, I've preached on this before and I've said it from this pulpit before. This is one of my all-time favorite texts uh, in the New Testament because in some ways it makes Jesus so much like us, so much like me, that I feel like I can finally start thinking about how to be like him in the ways that we're encouraged to to be like him, right? And we're told in scripture that he, we are like him in all ways, or maybe to say it differently, he's like us in all ways, yet without sin. So we are like him in all ways, I guess, yet with sin. Uh, but this Acts 10 passage that we heard read for us tonight is uh, so important. And so I want to start with that passage. Uh, so Peter opened his mouth. Now, in scripture, that, if that's all you knew, you'd have to say, oh, no, there goes Peter. Right? Like, and so Peter opened his mouth. Oh, no, not again. You know. Now, he's had this great sermon at Pentecost that brought thousands into the church. So you know it's either going to be a great sermon that's going to bring people into the church or Peter's going to put his foot in his mouth or something like that again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. That actually what Peter first says is that um, he reiterates the epiphany message that, that we heard and hear and think about this time of year, that God's gift of salvation is available to everyone, for God shows no partiality. So Peter's words here are going to be more like Pentecost than they are going to be like the arrest, the night of Jesus' arrest, right? So Peter reiterates the epiphany message again, that God's gift of salvation is available to everyone. God shows no partiality. There's no distinction between persons. Race doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Um, Israel versus Gentile doesn't matter. God shows no partiality. And then Peter goes on to say, 
that God shows this in two ways, that this is obvious maybe in two ways, or maybe to pun a little bit on the word epiphany, it's manifested in two ways. I had to actually say I was punning so that you would get the pun. But anyway, uh, but in two ways we see this in the text immediately. The first, Peter says, is we know that God shows no partiality because God the Father sent God the Son who was then empowered by God the Holy Spirit so that Jesus, God incarnate, could go about doing good and healing the oppressed. So that's how we know God shows no partiality. In other words, God the Father sent his son, empowered him by the Holy Spirit, so that he could go about doing good and healing the oppressed without any distinction among people. God incarnate, Jesus Christ, was an equal opportunity do-gooder and healer and empowerer. He didn't stop to ask anyone, who are you, where are you from, are you a Jew, are you a Gentile, whatever. He just healed and did good to everyone. And we see that in our Matthew 3 passage this evening, right? So uh, Jesus was baptized, and immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and uh, those witnessing it saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and a voice from heaven said, behold, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, it's this is my son, and I'm well pleased in him for particular people or anything like that. It's just know that, that everyone needs to come into relationship with he who is Jesus Christ. And again, Acts reiterates that when Peter says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So how do we know God shows no partiality? Well, Jesus came on behalf of everyone. That salvation made possible by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is for all people, regardless of who they are. If you've been praying morning prayer and using the Acne lectionary, you know that we are in the Gospel of John as we start off this year. And so recently we've had the opportunity to revisit the woman at the well, for example. Right? The story again of Jesus showing no partiality, even surprising his disciples with who he's talking to. And we know from that that the woman at the well ran back to town, told everyone about this person, Jesus, and the town. People came to faith as a result of this. Again, so we see that in the scriptures, this is God's way of doing things, that Jesus owes no partiality. So the first way is, is because, again, the Trinity sent Jesus as the incarnate Son of God for everyone. But also, secondly, because he empowers his people to preach the good news. That is, God empowers his people to preach the good news, just like Peter is doing in this passage. Right? So Peter is empowered by God to preach the truth of the coming of God the Son as the person of Jesus Christ. And then, by extension, we too, in baptism, receive the Holy Spirit and are empowered for ministry. Right, you see this Acts 10 passage, what I particularly like about it is it's that one moment where the scripture tells us that whatever the emptying of Jesus was, according to Philippians 2, that it was in order to become like me, but yet as an adult at his baptism, as he is going to begin his public ministry, he's anointed then by the Holy Spirit and power so that he could go about doing good and healing. Right? The Holy Spirit is who empowers Jesus to do the good that he does, to do the healing that he does. 
And the amazing thing is, is that in my life, at my baptism, and in my life, I too am given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's called Pentecost. Right? We have the Holy Spirit within us, so we are empowered people to preach the good news. To who? To everyone. That this message that, that, that Jesus embodies as the incarnate Son of God, we get to go as empowered people and spread the word about this person of Jesus, just as Peter is doing here in Acts chapter 10. That we have all the equipment that we need because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, sure, some people may be better speakers than others. Some people may have more tact for the way they go about talking about Jesus Christ. They're just more relational as people, and so they, they do it that way, whatever. I'm not saying we're all cut from the same cloth, but the point is, is none of us are without excuse when it comes to being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is, if we are baptized Christians. And so I've reflected on this for years and years and years because growing up, I often heard, you know, and, and still do on occasion, like, well, we just need to be more like Jesus. Well, that's a bit defeating, isn't it? Like, he healed people, he turned some bread and or fish and loaves into a meal for thousands of people, right? He raises people from the dead. He, he does things that I just don't see myself doing this week or any week for that matter. So in as much as like, yes, be more like Jesus, I get that. But at the same time, like, but, but Jesus is so much more than me, or at least ostensibly that's what it looks like. But, but here in Acts 10, Peter is telling us that there's more similarity than dissimilarity, that we have the same equipment and equipping by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called us to do, to use the words of our collect, our concluding collect. And so let's reflect on that, that, again, there's no partiality. Why? Because God came for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. But there's also no partiality because we all, all Christians, are given the same Holy Spirit that Jesus received to empower him for ministry so that we could do what? Be empowered for ministry. So that we could be empowered to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But not just that, right? There, there's more to it than just that. And I think this is where Isaiah comes in this evening and just these way these passages work together so well that here in Isaiah 42, right, it's the, it's the first of the suffering servant text. If you uh, know about the five or six suffering service texts from Isaiah, this is uh, the first one. And again, in Isaiah, as we saw through Advent and Isaiah occurs many times in the lectionary, that, you know, Isaiah is all about reminding the people, promising the people of deliverance, of God making things right for them again. And so that it's part of what the suffering servant is getting at here in Isaiah 42. But again, we're given this empowerment. We're given this, this ability to, like Peter, to, to preach the truth, um, to be empowered for ministry to the, to the end, not just of sharing the gospel, but, but one, to share the gospel and in doing that, to bring forth justice. Three times in the passage from Isaiah tonight, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. So we have the opportunity as empowered people, as Holy Spirit-empowered people, as baptized believers to bring forth justice. And to do that with compassion, 
a bruised reed he will not break, right? This suffering servant, this, this uh, prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah 42 is he's going to come and he's not going to, uh, to take a bruised reed and just break it the rest of the way. That's not the way he's going to solve the problems. No, he's going to be compassionate as he brings about justice. And he's not just doing it for individuals, though justice for individuals is important, but in the context of the whole verse, uh, the whole text, he's doing it for whole nations. That this is a global perspective, right? He will bring forth justice to the nations, not just justice for individual people, but justice for the world. And again, we've seen this week about the many injustices that are going on in the world, right? People who simply boarded a flight to fly from one destination to another were unjustly shot down. Why? Well, because of, you know, larger global political issues that those people on the plane probably had thoughts about but never thought that they would be on the receiving end of an act that would cause their death because of it. So justice to the nations is what this suffering servant, it's what we are given the opportunity to preach about. And we do it again with compassion. Secondly, as we preach this gospel, as we're empowered to do our ministry, we do it not only to bring forth justice, but to establish the proper relationship between God and all things. Right? This is about, you know, bringing the world back to what it's supposed to be. Verse 6 of the Isaiah passage, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, right? So when we talk about a proper relationship between God and all things, we're talking about the covenant that God has made as the creator of the world. Verse five, he created the heavens and stretched them out. He spread out the earth and what comes from it. Therefore, he will be the one who will give you as a covenant to the people. That's the proper relationship that we're meant to be in as human beings, as believers, as those in relationship with God, but not just the church, but the whole world. And so when we preach and do ministry as God's empowered people, as, as those with the Holy Spirit through baptism, we're not just bringing forth justice, but we're making things right. We're restoring the way that things are meant to be. Again, it's not just an about an individual receiving justice. It's about whole nations and making all things right with God again. And in doing all of this, God will be glorified for what he is, for who he is, apart from what he's done. It took me a long time to learn this as a Christian. When God did something for me, gave me something I wanted, is really what I mean by that, right? Then I was right there ready to give him thanks and praise. But not because of who he was, but because of what he had just done for me. Assuming that I judged it to be what I wanted for me, right? But that's not the way it's supposed to work. That as we bring forth justice, empowered by God, establishing the right relationship between God and all things by way of his covenant with us as his people, as the creator and sustainer of all things, then God is rightly glorified for who he is. And even though he keeps doing really nice things for us all the time, we don't show up to church just 
in a sense of obligation that we owe it to God because he's been so good to us. We show up to church to worship God for who he is. I couldn't help but see on social media some number of weeks ago, I kind of chuckled about it and, you know, as toxic as social media can be in so many ways, I had to laugh at this, you know. You know, pastor, I didn't like the church service tonight. And the response the pastor said was good. We weren't here for you anyway. And there's a point to that, is it not? You know, you, you don't like something in the service? Great. Keep it to yourself. Because it wasn't about you. We come here for God. And again, that doesn't mean that we can't have opinions. That doesn't mean that we can't be frustrated. That doesn't mean that you can't get in the car and go home and say, Father Greg was really off tonight on his sermon, or Lion and World Deceris, you know, have us sing such a hard, difficult song as the processional, not that that was the case tonight at all, et cetera, et cetera, great. But if you think that's the point, you're wrong. And so let's come back to the this evening, what we're thinking about is in baptism, God the Father, who had sent God the Son, empowers that Son through his Holy Spirit to do what? To do the work that he had called him to do, to allow him, make it possible for him to do good and bring healing to all who are oppressed. We then, through our baptism and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, are empowered to preach the good news, to also go about doing good and bringing healing in the sense of perhaps physical, but certainly the, you know, the opportunity to bring salvation to people. To do, for what purpose? To, to bring justice to the world compassionately, to establish a proper relationship again between God and all that he has made. For what end? So that God can be rightly glorified. So you know what? Even if we were baptizing Wendell tonight he's a placeholder for me Mari at this point so don't take this not a criticism we will baptize him when everyone is ready but the point is if we were baptizing him tonight we would need to remind ourselves that actually it really isn't about him it's about God now it's about what God we trust will do in Wendell's life and is doing in our lives as God's baptized people but it would be about God so as we continue to move forward in this epiphany season, as we continue to think about the light of epiphany, the light of Christ shining on all people in the world, let us remind ourselves or be reminded by these scriptures that God has called us to be like Christ. And not in just these imitative ways, but because we too have been empowered. And let us not feel overwhelmed by this sense that like, oh my goodness, like, I'm supposed to help bring justice to the whole world so that things can be made right with God and his people? Yes, <laughs> but not because you have much to offer other than what God has given you and empowered you to do. So let us be God's faithful people. Let us get together again with him to, to rejoin the work that God is doing and to be a part of that. And do it individually, of course, but also corporately together. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.